0: Hello and welcome to another episode of iLink, an FHL Bank Atlanta podcast. I'm Taylor McKenzie, and today I have with me Brittany Strickland, the Director of Marketing at FHL Bank Atlanta, and Randall Kirsch, Partner at Jackson Spaulding. Brittany, Randall, welcome. Thank you so much for having us today. And as Taylor mentioned, my name is Brittany Strickland, and I'm the Bank's Director of Marketing, and I've been here just shy of 10 years And today we're going to talk about six ways of how you can stand out in a crowded field. And before we talk about how, you know, to drive brand awareness, Randall, how do we define it and how do we measure it?
1: Um, Well, that's probably the most important question, right? What are we talking about when we're talking about brand awareness? Um, So let me start with brand awareness uh, for Jackson Spaulding for two seconds. I've been there 21 years. uh, So Brittany, 10 years is a long career. I've got you by 11. Thanks so much. (laughs) Um, in the last several of those, I've been uh, one of the senior members of our brand strategy team, which basically just means we help our clients get noticed, uh, be remembered, uh, and ultimately matter more, hopefully, uh, to the audiences that matter most to them and to their businesses. So let's talk about what brand awareness is. And there's really two different kinds that typical market research will measure. One of them is called unaided brand awareness, and the other one is aided brand awareness. Now unaided, Brand awareness is more valuable because that means a customer or consumer or prospect for your business can recall you to mind without any help. So imagine the question being, name every bank or financial institution that you can think of. And the first three that are on their list have got really good brand awareness and mental availability unaided. Aided is which of the banks or financial institutions on this list do you recognize, right? So you're kind of prompting them and they can tell you which ones they're familiar with. Um, unaided is much more valuable um, because, like I said, they can call you to mind without help, which means chances are of you getting in the consideration, consideration set when they come to that moment of truth are much, much higher. That said, don't discount aided awareness. It still beats no awareness. And it's a lot harder to get into the consideration set for anything that you're selling if they've never heard of you, right? So today we're going to focus on six ways that banks and financial institutions can really build both types of brand awareness.
0: So the six topics that we'll cover today are how you look, how you sound, what you say, mental availability, physical availability, and relationships. So Randall, let's talk a little bit about the first one about visual identity, how you look.
1: Yeah, how you look and your visual identity is is so important. And the thing about the banking industry, uh, it's gotten a whole lot better. But banks in general have tended to stay within a very narrow set of visual cues uh, because they're trying to evoke trustworthiness, reliability, safety. It's people's money after all. And so the Greek columns cliche is probably the most you know obvious example of, of that very narrow set of visual cues. So the question is, how can banks break the look-alike trap that financial institutions often fall into without looking too unserious, especially nowadays, right? Um, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples um, of, of banks that I have either thought about uh, being a customer of or actually am a customer of. One bank I really like their marketing recently is called Ally Bank. Um, and this is a bank that kind of originally was branded sort of as the bank for millennials or what have you. But from a visual identity standpoint, they picked a very specific color of purple that was not being used very much in the industry. Um, we'll talk more about them in, in some of the other brand assets they're building, but their color was a really powerful uh, thing for them. And so was their logo. Um, and yet it, it had a very contemporary and youthful um, feel, but never got to where it was glib or cute. Uh, then you have a bank called Mr. Cooper, which is really Nation Star Mortgage uh, doing business as Mr. Cooper. And I had a mortgage with Nation Star and suddenly I start getting mailers from something called Mr. Cooper. And it sounded like a plumber. <laughs> and I didn't know what it was and I realized this was my mortgage statement and it was very it was sort of it threw me off a lot now they've crisped things up a little bit better they've become a little more professional but some of those early communications they were trying to be so different that it felt wrong and it felt like I had maybe a bank that I didn't want to inherit my mortgage and inherited my mortgage and it made me worried so I, so I didn't love that um for banks who are listening uh, today, I think the, the best thing you can do to stand out visually is create what we'll call a distinctive brand assets, a set of distinctive brand assets. And you're going to stick to those repeatedly and relentlessly. And what you're doing with those, and we'll talk about what each of those are and kind of categories that you can think about, but you're just creating a lot more mental hooks, mental triggers, so that when people see you or hear you, they immediately recognize it as your brand without their brain having to work very hard. Does that make sense? So let me give you some examples of those. Um, Obviously, your name is an inherently distinctive brand asset. It's an owned uh, name. You have the trademark. No one else can have your name. But your logo is another one. And, of course, your brand color, which we already mentioned. Lots of brands use color especially well. MailChimp is one. It's an email marketing firm. Um, They have this sort of ugly mustard yellow Um, But it is absolutely unmistakable, and it's unlike what any other brand in their space has been using and certainly was using when they first came out. Um, I mentioned the Ally Bank Purple. Another bank that I've seen using color as a distinctive brand asset very well, very recently, is Regions Bank. Um, They have kind of a bright green color. And their ad campaign, which is, I think, pretty clever, they're hinging on this idea of The if in life and this whole word if is floating around, but the word if in the campaign is in the bright regions, Bank green, the raft the family is on is bright regions, Bank green, the lawn is green. I mean, so they're really pushing their bright green as a distinctive asset uh, in all of their advertising. I think they do it extremely well. So name, logo and unique brand color taglines, right? We all know what taglines are. Just do it. The Nike tagline, probably the famous, most famous of all time. But you've got so many others that have stood the test of time and say so much about a brand. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. People immediately know what that organization is. If I say, like a good neighbor, you know who that organization is without me having to name the brand. Um, Wells Fargo has started using in the past year or two, they've started using a new tagline that together will go far. So they're, they're intentionally making a, a play off of Wells Fargo. And, and obviously that makes the asset way more ownable. No one else could really use that tagline and have it make sense. Uh, mascots and characters, you know, the uh, insurance industry loves loves this. So think about Geico Gecko, think about Progressive's Flow, you've got Mayhem with Allstate and on and on it goes. So uh, the insurance companies are putting on a clinic in distinctive brand asset uh, development if you watch their advertising, which you almost can't avoid because they're all spending a billion dollars a year in media. Uh, brand fonts, so think about Verizon, even their brand font is distinctive and the way that you can use imagery. So there's lots of different ways you can create a distinctive brand asset. So the challenge I wanna issue to the audience that's listening to this is to think about inventory your own bank or financial institutions distinctive brand assets, right? The logo, the color, tagline, mascot or character, et cetera. And do you have all that you need or are you missing some of the things that we've talked about And challenge your marketing team to start using brand assets, number one, more consistently, which inherently makes it more effective, and and over longer periods of time. And that's the only way you're going to build up that kind of recognition. Because you can't say like a good neighbor and have people know who it is without spending a whole
0: lot over a long period of time to
1: get people to that place.
0: And it's interesting that you say that, because one of the first things I think about with a mascot um, is the Chick-fil-A cows um, and eat more chicken. Their campaign has been around for a long time, and it's something that's recognizable and within the marketplace. And so when you started talking about mascots, I thought, oh, Chick-fil-A, you know, I see their billboard every time I'm driving into the city somewhere. Right. And so that one is a really great one that, you know, is very top of mind for me.
1: And the thing I will like about, so we we work with Chick-fil-A, so I get to wax poetic a little bit about Chick-fil-A. That mascot has stood the test of time so long that I think most people don't even remember that It's an inversion, right? It's basically saying, Don't eat us, eat the chicken instead, right? Because every there was burgers back when that campaign was first launched, and so they took the beef and said, Not us, please eat more chicken. <laughs> People aren't even thinking about it that much anymore, it's just they see a cow and they think chicken, it's an amazing uh outcome. So, I a nice done a great job. flip
0: that they did there, yeah, yeah. So we've talked about how we look. Let's talk about how we sound. So your brand personality, what does that look like, Randall? Yeah.
1: Um, Well, there's been a lot of debate about brand personality and how valid that is, or brand voice and how valid that is as a difference maker in the market. So sort of there's a caveat on this one. And the idea is if you as a marketer are trying to create a brand personality that appeals to a certain customer personality type, then you're probably gonna fail. Cause the truth is you're, you're appealing to a much broader customer base. And they're, they're, they're of all personality types. So let go of that. What we're really talking about here is differentiating your tonality. So you sound a little bit different than everyone else. Back to my Ally Bank example, I think they're doing it really well. Even when you're selling many or all of the same things that your competitors are selling. So that's when it can really work. And And why does that matter? And the answer is because it's less about getting certain personality types out in the marketplace, different consumer personalities to choose you, and just more about sounding different than anyone else that they might choose. So think of your brand voice as just another one of those distinctive brand assets that we talked about, like your logo or your brand color, your fonts. And just like in real life, just as your real voice as a person distinguishes you from everyone else, your brand voice can help your brand stand out the same way. I'll give you an example. So Miller Lite, the beer... Um, years ago had a campaign that was super popular um, tv spots called man laws and they were really funny and people loved them but their sales declined which sort of befuddled everyone the reality was when they did market testing and they did consumer surveys what they found out is people loved the ads they didn't associate it with miller light and worse a lot of them associated with bud light because number one they didn't leverage that logo miller light they didn't leverage the name enough. So they missed an opportunity to, you know, use a distinctive brand asset. And they were using a tonality that was kind of already occupied by Bud Light. Bud Light had had a long track record of really, really funny ads at that time. And so they ended up almost advertising for a competitor with that. So you really want to sound like you and only you um, as often as you can. So the challenge to the audience on this one, as we talk about how you sound, is does your bank or financial institution have a brand voice at all? You know, do you sound like everybody else? Um, if you do, how would you describe that brand voice and are you, are you using it consistently across every touch point? How does it compare to your top competitors? You know, who are the closest three competitors in your market and are they sounding pretty much the same way as you, in which case there's probably an opportunity to be more distinctive.
0: That's great insight, Randall, on our voice, but let's talk about what you say. But it is
1: important because we as marketers, and I'm guilty of this, so this is a
0: open confession
1: here on this podcast, um, (laughs) but it really is less about a different message and it's more about repetition of that message. And marketers, and like I said, I've done this, we spend a lot of effort crafting what we believe is meaningfully differentiated messaging strategies. But unfortunately, what a lot of the research will show you is, is that a lot of that is wasted because of the way that the brain works. People just aren't thinking that hard about your advertising, or about your message. They're not paying that much attention that they're making logical, active comparisons between brands. And so they end up perceiving very little meaningful difference between brands in the same category, which is surprising to a lot of marketers, but it's true. So without that as backdrop, there's three things you need to really think about when it comes to your message. The first one is keep it simple and keep it consistent. So pick a positioning, a story you want to tell, a message you want to send about your product or your service. Ideally, that message is anchored in the customer being the hero of the story, not your bank or financial institution being the hero. You're going to be their guide to success in whatever they want to accomplish. But pick a positioning strategy and really stick to it over time. The brands that do that, they they become dominant through consistency, not through clever repositioning over and over um, the second point is something that comes from a book that we've read a lot at Jackson Spaulding called smart brevity. And there's a line there that says brevity is confidence, which is such a, I, th- I just love that so much. So if you can say everything in the fewest possible words, every ad, every communication, every piece of email marketing, you name it, even count syllables, um, that give people more confidence or that gives people more confidence in, in what you're doing and what you're selling. And the last one is get noticed. I mean, you have to find, this is back to, not just repetition, we'll call it refreshed repetition, but finding new and inventive and creative ways to say the same thing. So think about how many amazing and hilarious ways that Geico has found to tell us that you could say 15% or more on car insurance, a million, right? And we love them for it. And so that's something that's just, if you can find just, they haven't changed the message, It's always say 15% or more on car insurance, those exact words. But the frame that they put it in is different and entertaining uh, and has been for years. So here's the challenge to you guys uh, out there that are listening. Can you explain what your bank stands for in 10 words or less? Has that answer been consistent for a long, long time, like years, long time? Does the homepage of your website, does your latest ad campaign communicate that really well? Um, This is the kind of work that our brand strategy team at Jackson Spaulding does. But these are really fundamental questions. Because if you can get this part right, everything else gets easier
0: and works harder for
1: you over time.
0: That's really great insight. So let's look at our next area, the mental availability. How long do people have to look at messages?
1: Yeah, (laughs) not long at all, right? So think about the last ad that you deeply engaged with and read cover to cover, right? It's not a thing. Um, you've got split seconds. And I think most marketers uh, understand this. And so the next two we're going to talk about are mental availability and physical availability, which is just two ways that you become really easy to buy. Um, mental availability is you're, you're visible to them and you're easily recognized. So I can spot your logo or your color or your thing, whatever it is, your product on a shelf, 50 paces away and instantly register your brand. With In many cases, not even consciously that's mental availability, and that you come to mind unprompted back to unaided awareness. The other one is physically available, which means it's easy to access. So when I'm finally ready to engage with the category or with a new bank, let's say, um, open an account, et cetera, that's just easy to find, easy to access, easy to understand which thing to buy. So we'll explore both of these, um, starting with mental availability, again, which is about being easily recognized and recalled. The way to do that is, and this is where the finance team gets involved is you've got to maximize your audience reach with the available budget that you have. And I don't think you'll ever meet any organization or any bank that says, yes, we have plenty of marketing budget to reach all the potential customers in our markets that we serve. And we can do that very frequently. And we're doing plenty. More often than not, you're going to have to allocate your resources much more carefully uh, than that. And you got to recognize a really important truth about mental availability. The vast majority of the people you're trying to sell to are not in the market for the thing you sell today. And in some cases, depending on the product, they're not going to be in the market for that thing anytime soon. So some sliver of the market is always in the market today, but most of them are not. And so you're trying to build mental availability, not just with the people who are already in buy now mode but the people who are maybe buy later sometime in the future mode, that's the much bigger market for anything that you're selling, regardless of the category, but certainly it's true for banks uh, and financial institutions. So keep it simple. Like all the distinctive brand assets we we looked at, if you have limited dollars and you're only going to get in front of those people so many times, you better be hitting those assets as hard as you can at every turn so that you burn your brand's identity into their brains so they can recognize your marketing uh, almost unconsciously.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about the dollar spend. Mm-hmm. A lot of our member institutions may not have the big budgets right. that some of these larger institutions might have. Yep. So what is that going to look like and what can people do to expand yeah. their reach? I mean, that's the, qu-
1: the question, right? I mean, yeah. it's the number one thing I think probably on a lot of your listeners' minds. It's all sound great in theory, Randall, but how in the world do we afford it? Um, the first thing I'll say is focus as much of your spend as humanly possible on your non-customers. Now, there's a, there's a popular myth in marketing that it's easier to, to keep an existing customer than sell a new one, right? Um, that's actually not true, and it's not borne out in the data in almost any category. So, yes, there are opportunities to cross-sell products to your current customer base. That is true. That is not a growth strategy. You're not going to grow your brand that way. Uh, you have got to reach as many people as possible who don't currently bank with your institution. Um, and if you can only reach them once with your spend, reach them once with your spend. Um, if they've never heard of you, the chances of them doing business with you are, are near zero. So try to reach as many non-customers in the markets that you serve as humanly possible. Um, because there's just so many more of them than any other category of customer. So that's the simple answer. While you're doing that, you know, you can debate on, well, how many times can I afford to reach that audience? You know, and the broader I cast the net, the fewer times I can reach them. So that's really important, but I would start with the geographies you serve or the segments of the market that you feel you are best equipped to serve extremely well, highest chance of winning that customer, let's say, um, and and focus on that. And I will say this, try to avoid narrow casting. So if you create two tiny market slivers, you know, oh, we're the perfect bank for this demographic and this demographic only, you're really limiting your growth. You want to keep a wide as wide a net as possible. And that usually means big reach media. You know, we're talking about TV, radio, outdoor, some of these things that quote unquote get called traditional in an age of digital marketing. But the reality is if you wanna reach a lot of people, those uh, those advertising channels are really, really powerful. It's worth noting that if you don't have a big physical footprint, which there's a lot of banks that are mostly digital, um, you know, there that is a disadvantage because every one of those bank locations or ATM machines is a billboard for that brand. Um, So you've got to figure out ways to overcome that. And again, I think a lot of banks, even if they were purely digital and had no physical footprint, you could use broad reach media to compensate for that. And I'll just put a plug in for PR as well, because when you look at your advertising mix, dollar for dollar, how many people you can reach consistently, PR is a pretty efficient channel. Uh, So if you can use earned media uh, and social media, uh, effectively, you'll get a lot of mileage out of a few, few dollars compared to buying billboards and things like that. So I guess I'll wrap up mental availability with a challenge to your audience on this one as well. Audit your marketing mix or having your marketing uh, CMO audit your marketing mix. Are you making the maximum use of distinctive brand assets at every touch point? Because again, limited dollars, you can only reach them a few times. You need to pick two or three things that you're going to have in every single touch point. And then the other piece is a lot of brands do this. They want the advertising to pay off right now. They want immediate same term, next three months ROI on that spend. And what that's immediately going to do is it's going to it's going mean you're only marketing to people that are in direct response mode, which is a small sliver of the market at any given time. And you're missing out on, let's say, 90% of the consumers that could bank with you one day that aren't in the market right now. So it'll look really good short term. Long term, you'll see very much diminishing returns and probably lose uh, position inside the marketplace to competitors who are doing it the right way.
0: So that's a really interesting thought. You know, it makes me think a lot about customer experience and how you're interacting with two different audiences. One is going to be the people that you engage with every day and how you cross sell products and services to them. And then you're looking at potential new customers Mm -hmm. within, you know, you mentioned the next 12 to 18 months of where they're going to interact with your ads and what those look like and how they're going to experience those touch points. So let's talk a little bit about the physical availability. So let's go into that. Yeah. And even
1: before we get there, I want to, you know, you brought up a good point, which is you're always advertising to your current customers. So yes, you're doing it through direct channels, right? Email marketing to them, things like that, because they're a customer and you can only uh, reach them more directly that way. But they're also seeing your billboards, your TV ads, you're hearing your radio spots or whatever it may be. And your advertising has a chance to reinforce the good decision they made by choosing you um, so, it, so that mass media cannot be underestimated in terms of the impact that it can make. So, yeah, physical availability, which is, again, easy to find and easy to buy from uh, when that customer is ready to do business with a bank or financial institution. And what you want to be is present and available across as many what we'll call buying situations as possible. Um, And so you can think about all the different times someone might need to engage with a financial institution and and think of all those as you can, and how can you intersect with them as much as possible. So just like with mental availability, the banks that have the big physical footprints have an advantage, right? They are literally physically available. Now, all the research in the banking industry, of course, is showing that consumers are less and less um, preferring banks with physical locations, even for non-routine transactions. Uh, which is an interesting trend and perhaps not unexpected. And there's going to come a day when um, you can interact exclusively online with a bank, and many banks are doing that now. Um, And so physical availability isn't literally just physical, I can walk into a branch anymore. It's helpful. It's not the whole ballgame. The other aspect of availability is making sure it's clear and easy. It's easy to find you and it's easy to understand your various offerings and figure out which one is right for them, Right. Um, if you go to any bank website, you're getting steered down several channels, and within each of those channels there's a number of different products and offers uh, on offer that day, and it can be a lot for the average consumer to take in. So the, the faster you can get them into a narrow set of menu options, the better, and that's, that's really another way of thinking about physical, I'm putting air quotes here, physical availability. So challenge to the audience, think about all the moments that your target consumer or target business customer needs to open a new account, take out a loan, develop a new banking relationship, think about where they are physically, who are they with, why are they there, um, and ask yourself, how might you make your bank readily accessible in those spaces, in those places, and in those moments? Uh, And start by taking a hard look at your website versus your competitor's website. And just ask yourself, which one is easier for a non-banker to navigate and figure out which product is right for me? Um, and you might find out that you you got some immediate work to do on your website. Um, and so that leads us
0: to our last one. Brittany. Which is relationships. This is a huge key area for our bank because we're traditionally B2B. Um, so this hits home with how we really engage and market. And this is a big piece of of our marketing strategy. So let's look at. You know, who are our main audiences and those potential gatekeepers and buyers?
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, this is, you can't, I don't know that you can be in business in any uh, category and not really, really treasure and value and invest in relationships. So let's just start there. Um, but when we think about banking. I mean, a lot of times the, the buyer or the person who's going to take out the, the uh, open a new account, they're not really that familiar with any bank going in. And it's their money that we're talking about, and they're still not going to do as much research as you probably think. Uh, comparing banks, so a lot of times it just comes down to the biggest difference between Bank A and Banks B through Z is that they know somebody at Bank A, and so you know, why not go with Bank A because I know someone over there that I like, and that's all you need to lead them to your door. So super, super important, but. Perhaps the most important set of relationships is think about the gatekeepers. So we we're talking about physical availability, right? The spaces, places, and moments that they might need to engage with a financial institution. That who are they with question and who's in, who's in charge of that moment, right? And I think about mortgage loans and I think about car loans as, as really specific examples. Um, if you think about who your car loan is with and then you think about why is my car loan with that bank or that institution, and a lot of times people the the only reason they're with it is because that's who the dealership works with or who teed up, you know, who approved their loan application to the dealership. Right. They didn't make some informed judgment. They didn't go out and look at websites or compare products or anything like that. They were just told like this is this is who approved your loan. Here's who your loan's gonna be with. And and you don't really think about it or care. In a lot of cases, mortgages are the same way. You end up with the mortgage lender that was uh, that you're real estate agent or broker had a relationship with, or perhaps the seller had a relationship with. You know, there's a lot of ways that people sort of back into these relationships. Uh, It wasn't some logical, thoughtful decision. So think about those kind of gatekeeper audiences who have a disproportionate ability to steer your target customer to your institution and develop relationship with them. You know, in a world of limited resources and time, I would spend a lot of time and energy uh, developing those relationships.
0: That's a good point. So thank you so much, Randall, for being here today. I feel like this was a great conversation about, you know, six ways to stand out in a crowded field. Just to recap the six different topics we covered, it was how you look, how you sound, what you say, your mental availability, physical availability, and my favorite is more on the relationships. If you found today's podcast helpful and want your marketing team to think more about how they can put these principles to work. Share this podcast with them or download the companion piece that we'll make available at www.fhlbatl.com. Thank you again for being here. Thanks so much for having us.